This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, wondering what's happening at Right From The Deep? Well, here you go. Well, first, thank you very much to our dear, dear patrons on Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a platform that enables creators like us to get paid because it does take time and money to put these podcasts together, pay for the hosting and all of that stuff. So we are truly thankful for each and every patron we have on Patreon. You can check out more if you're interested in that at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash right from the deep. Thanks so much to our September sponsor of the month, Priscilla Sharon. Yay, Priscilla! <laughs> She's working on her memoir called Bunked, Life, Love, and Laughter with Traumatic Brain Injury, which is under contract with Redemption Press. Yay! Learn more about Priscilla at her website, P-R-I-S-C-I-L-L-A-S-H-A-R-R-O-W, PriscillaSharrow.com, and follow her blog for the TBI PTSD community. Indeed. Thank you, Priscilla. Also, I am going to be at the Florida Christian Writers Conference in Leesburg, Florida. I'm excited about this. It's October 20th through the 24th, so coming up in a couple months. And I will be representing Wild Hard Books. I'm super excited about that, too. And I'll be taking pitches and appointments for them. So also, yay, teaching a session I love to teach, guys. And this session is called, Did God Really Ask You to Write? I hope to see you guys there. Another exciting thing is our sponsorship from the Novel Marketing Podcast with host Thomas Umstead Jr. We've mentioned many times that his podcast is the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. We don't take a sponsorship like this lightly. We agreed because we know and trust Thomas, and his podcast is full of great information it and is. advice. <laughs> On the last episode, he did an author's guide to story origin. Story origin is a useful service for authors trying to build their newsletter list, which is crucial these days for author marketing and connecting with readers. Yeah, and I love this interview. Um, story origin is sounds pretty cool, you guys. It helps you create a landing page for a reader magnet, and that is something that you'd give to people when they sign up for your mailing list, so therefore helps you build your mailing list. And the nice thing is that Story Origin handles the delivery of that file so you don't have to, because trust me, readers need help. So there's all kinds of information about this resource and its potential for you. Check out Thomas's interview with the creator of Story Origin on the Novel Marketing Podcast in your favorite podcast app or at novelmarketing.com, where you're also going to find lots more book promotion and platform help. We've also been sharing wonders with you with each podcast. And my wonder this last week was actually something that stemmed out of a very bad thing. I had an encounter with a relative that I hadn't seen for a long time that was extremely negative. Mm. Um, This uh, relative misunderstood something that... I misunderstood, so it was misunderstanding on misunderstanding, and his response was brutal. I mean, totally brutal. He 
told me that any respect he had for me was down the tubes. Now, Mm. when I hear something like that, my first reaction is to get angry and to think of all the things I should have said, could have said, and just keep going over and over it in my mind because it was so unjust. What I had done was a simple, honest mistake. I corrected it right away when he brought it to my attention, and yet it felt as though the relationship was done. And I was so ticked off, I was fine with that. But God kept nudging at me and saying, you know, regardless of how he reacted in this, your reaction is up to you. And so I was just talking it over with him over and over. And I realized by going through these scenarios in my head, and I could have said this, and here's what I should have said. um, I was just letting resentment get deeper and deeper into my heart toward this relative. And so instead, I decided I would put it on the altar and I gave it to God. And within 10 minutes, I took it back and I was thinking these things over again. And then I realized what I was doing. And so I went to God and I said, help me to let this go and to leave it there. And so this time it took maybe two or three hours for me to suddenly realize I'm thinking through these things again. Each time I went through that, each time my heart took it back, my spirit came in and laid it back on the altar. And the wonder is... In the last several days, I really haven't thought about it that much because it's in God's hands. And each time I put it back on God's altar and and tried to leave it there, the longer it stayed before I found myself. And it wasn't even a conscious thing. I just suddenly realized what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So he comes in and even though it doesn't happen immediately, sometimes it can, but for me, it didn't happen immediately, but it was a process of continual repentance, prayer for guidance and for freedom from the this thing, and then trying to move forward. And that gradual, persistent going to him with it has been wondrous to me because I can now say that I've let it go. That relationship is in God's hands. I've done what I know was right to do. And I don't have to be burdened by that anymore. So really grateful to God for that. That is a wonder. Amen to that. And now, here's the show. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Deep with us. Hey, remember how terrible we all thought 2020 was? (laughs) I remember turning to my hubby, Don, on New Year's Eve and saying, what if 2021 is looking at 2020 and saying, here, hold my beer? In other words, what if 2020 was just a warm-up for 2021? We consoled ourselves that it couldn't happen, and it didn't, not for us, until March when we discovered that our water heater was leaking. A lot. In came the workmen, and they discovered all manner of mold in all manner of places in our entryway, under the floor, in the walls, even in the subflooring. And so thus began the repair process, which became the unending repair process. (laughs) Yes. Now, because of Karen's lung disease and the danger that mold was to her, Don sent her off to my house. Yay! (laughs) Now, that was the silver lining, (laughs) y'all. She was here for like two weeks, and that was enough time for the people at her house to tear everything out, deal with the mold, get the new subfloor, and then when she got home, she was going to pick out the new flooring, and they'd put it down, and, you know, you know how that old saying is, man plans, God laughs. So the day before Karen went home, oh dear, they found water damage and it was way more extensive than they thought. And it impacted not just that entryway, which they, you know, had thought it was confined to, but the kitchen. 
So yeah, instead of coming home to a mold-free house and having the fun of picking out new flooring, which we didn't have to pay for, I found the entryway and kitchen cut off by these plastic sheets. It was like some kind of mad scientist project gone wrong. (laughs) And now they were tearing up the kitchen floor. Good news, though, Don had saved a good portion of that flooring from the last time they repaired the kitchen floor, so at least we wouldn't have to put in a new floor in the kitchen. We chose the new floor for the entryway, which involved getting floor samples and taking them home and trying to decide which one masked everything best. It all took so long. And then it was my job to pack up everything breakable in the kitchen and figure out where to store it all. Yeah, and okay, guys, I realize way too late to make this long story short. So let's let's move to the highlights anyway. Uh, so the workers ruined that piece of flooring that Don had saved for the kitchen. So now Karen and Don had to choose new flooring for both the kitchen and the entry. And so more samples came home, more trying to figure out from those teeny-weeny samples what's going to look best in the big space. Finally, miracle of miracles in June, the workers got all the new flooring in and the job was finished. Celebration. (laughs) The peasants rejoiced. And then we realized that the new floor was actually darker than we thought it would be. So suddenly Don and I were talking about, well, counters, backsplashes. What do we do to tie all these colors together? Do you have any idea how many types of counters and backsplashes (laughs) there are? Yes, yes, I know. Speaking of someone whose sink just cracked. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I do know. No. Anyway, you think we're done with her story? No. Two days after their new floor was in, Dan found the kitchen and the dining room, the dining room now, gang, flooded. The workers had somehow managed to pinch the tube going to the ice maker in the fridge, and it burst. And so now the kitchen and dining room floors were both ruined. So yeah, that new floor and another floor, right? So Don and Karen then had to go order more of the floor they just had in their kitchen. Oh no, out of stock, of course, right? No idea when that's going to come back in stock. So they had to go get more floor samples, choose a new floor yet again for the kitchen and the dining room. So After putting everything back in place with the new finished floor, I had to yet again come in and pack up everything breakable, including now all the stuff in the dining room. And then I had to find room in our house to store two complete rooms worth of furniture and stuff. If I never hear again, where would you like me to put this? It will be too soon. (laughs) Yes. And the workers got the wrong color of paint for the dining room walls. They messed up the electrical, so they had to bring in an electrician and on and on it went. With Karen and Don having to make multiple decisions almost every day. Now, I'm happy to report that that repair job that wouldn't end did end, finally, in late July, four long, decision-laden months later. But by that time, Don and I were both dealing with procrastination. No matter what a decision was, like, what do you want for dinner or what do you want to watch on TV, we both put off choosing. I had brain fog like never before. And we were dealing with impulsivity. I'd decide things by closing my eyes and pointing. I don't know, (laughs) teeny, meeny, miny, mo. And if Don looked at me and said, why did you pick that one? I'd just shrug. I had no idea. I just wanted the decision to go away. We were also dealing with avoidance. More than one time, Don told me, I can't deal with this right now. My line, on the other hand, was far more mature. If I have to make one more decision, I'll scream. (laughs) Yes. 
And then we fell into indecision. We'd waffle back and forth. You should have seen us trying to pick out the new floor for the kitchen and the dining room. Do you think this one will work? I don't know. Does it match? I, I don't. I, I, I just can't do it. I just can't. And then we'd snap at each other, which brings us to irritation. Oh, my gosh. We were so mentally exhausted. If either one of us asked the other for something or God forbid to make a decision, it was like poking at a tiger with a toothache. (laughs) And now, as you may have guessed, y'all, Karen and Don were deep in decision fatigue. And we were talking that over one day and we realized that, you know, while not a lot of you might be facing what Karen and Don did, maybe, but thanks to the state of the world today, you're probably facing your own nightmares of one decision after another after another. Studies have shown that decision fatigue is rampant. And gosh, that's no surprise when you consider the countless number of decisions this pandemic has brought our way. You know, it's about wear masks, don't wear masks, go to the store, send your kid to school, no homeschool, let people come over. No, no, don't go to work. No, find a place to work at home. (laughs) Where? The kitchen, the dining room, the living room. Which news sources should I watch? Which one should I read? Which one should I trust? Should I go to church online at home? Travel, don't travel, on and on. Medical, family, safety decisions. Oh my gosh, we have to deal with them all. And that's not all, because we as writers still have to make everyday decisions for work and careers and storylines. I can't even tell you how many online discussions I've been involved in where writers are wondering if they should include uh, the pandemic stuff in their books, fiction or nonfiction, whether they should be honest as to what they think about it all on social media. How do they deal with the censorship that's happening in social media? Um, will their factual historical storyline offend readers and, and should they change them so that they're more palatable? And, and again, on and on and on. And then just when we think life is returning to normal, bam, there's a new crisis and more decisions to be made. Right. And not just that. I mean, what about every marketing idea or social media fad comes out? You know, you're just like, should I hop on board? Should I sit at home? TikTok, talk, tick, you know, what? It's just one thing after another. It's no wonder so many of us feel like crawling under the bed and not coming out until we hear the trumpet of Christ's return. And it's no wonder so many of us struggle with decision fatigue. So what is that? What exactly is decision fatigue. In an article on usatoday.com, Roy Baumeister, the psychology professor at Florida State University, who actually coined the term, explains, it's a state of low willpower that results from having invested effort into making choices. It leads to putting less effort into making further choices. So either choices are avoided or they are made in a very superficial way. And all of these articles we'll have links to in the show notes, guys, so you can check them out. Now, Baumeister adds in another article that decision fatigue is the emotional and mental strain resulting from a burden of choices. And then the Newport Institute defines decision fatigue as a mental overload resulting from constantly having to make stressful choices in their article called Change Fatigue and Decision Fatigue. 
So basically, here's what it means. Our minds have limited energy. And when we're constantly making decisions, we drain that energy to a dangerous level. Why dangerous? Well, because when we don't have the necessary physical and mental resources to make good decisions, we often make decisions that negatively affect our lives. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, there are all kinds of negative effects, and they also affect the lives of those we love. Bad decisions, according to these articles, can make us compromise our beliefs or convictions. They can damage relationships, both personal and professional. It's so easy for writers to be swayed into a bad career move when we're tired or mentally bound up. I mean, I've known authors who, in the midst of all the uncertainties and fatigue, sign a contract that seemed perfect in that moment, only to discover when they were more clear-minded and rested that they'd made a terrible mistake. And it was a mistake they couldn't undo. Bad decisions can leave us engulfed in anxiety, trying to figure out how to fix what we've done or caused. Bad choices can leave us engulfed in anxiety, trying to figure out how to fix what we've done or caused. Bad decisions can damage our reputation, personal or professional, making it hard for people to trust us. I mean, think about how many years you've built up the trust that that people have in you, and one bad decision, as much as we hate to say it, can cause huge damage. Bad decisions can have negative effects for years. In a devotional on Insight.org, Charles Swindoll writes that Psalm 137 is the mournful song of a people enduring the grind of lingering consequences after a long history of bad decisions. The composer gives voice to the anguish of God's covenant people removed from their promised land, cut off from their birthright. As a band of Jewish POWs, they've been taken by the Babylonians into a foreign land. Just read that psalm and you'll see that the Israelites' poor decisions led them to years of imprisonment by other nations. And as God warned them, their land was a desolation and a horror. They became servants to their enemies, all because they made poor decisions rather than following God's word. So, another factor in decision fatigue is that the days of operating on automatic pilot, where we made decisions easily because the situation was familiar routine, those days are flat out the window. Everything is changed. Everything is unpredictable. Too often, we don't have the information we need, or we have too much information, and it's all conflicting to make wise decisions. I mean, just look at publishing as this small microcosm. Some editors are making decisions decisions about historical novels based on, and I'm doing air quotes here, sensitivity readers or readers' feelings rather than on historical facts. We heard about this from best-selling novelist Tamara Alexander in our podcast episode 130, and the link to that will be in our show notes. And contracts are being canceled and books and authors being blasted, even threatened for perceived offenses. Well, just recently, author Karen Whittemayer was awarded the RWA's Vivian Award for the best romance of the year with, and I quote, religious or spiritual elements, unquote. This is an award that was rescinded by the organization when people came after them and Karen for what they called romanticizing the battle of wounded knee. In reality, Karen wrote a moving story of how God redeems a man who took part in the horror of Wounded Knee. But the people, the opinionated people, have spoken, and so the award was rescinded. 
Right. You can see now the publishing world, both secular and Christian, it feels like it's been turned on its head. Some are calling censorship brave and necessary, and they're embracing the very cancel culture it used to condemn. How on earth are we going to navigate these waters? These are stormy seas, guys. And Elizabeth Yuko, a writer and staff member at the Fordham University Center for Ethics Education, expresses this well on a USA Today .com article. She says, we're making high stakes moral decisions that have consequences we've never had to deal with before. These things come with such a moral weight on them. It comes with even more stress. So yeah, decision fatigue. It's real, as are its consequences. In a Healthline.com article, Understanding Decision Fatigue, the stress over time of having to make so many decisions can lead to, and get ready for this list, it can lead to irritability, increased anxiety, depression, and cause physical issues such as tension, headaches, and digestive issues. It can cause us to completely shut down emotionally. It can create mental stress, hinder our ability to reason and process things, reduce our desire or ability to compromise and work for a win-win solution, and not too surprisingly, lead to depression. Now that we know what decision fatigue is, how do we know if we're dealing with it? Well, we've talked about some of those signs already, procrastination, impulsivity, avoidance, indecision, irritation, depression. You might have recognized some of those, right? Other signs, though, include inability to focus, guilt for making poor decisions, impulse buying, fatigue that won't go away. Does any or even all of that sound familiar? Uh, yeah, <laughs> to us too. So here's the real question. What can we do about decision fatigue? First, take your struggle and your decisions to God. Friends, ask him for peace clarity and wisdom. You remember Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived? In Ecclesiastes 7.12, he wrote, wisdom is a shelter. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Don't make important decisions without God's wisdom. Then read God's word. Consider doing word studies on wisdom, rest, peace, knowledge, any words that you find calming and inspiring that help you to draw on God's resources as you make decisions. And finally, trust God to lead you. As he says in Psalm 32, 8 and 10, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Right. And second, share your struggle. Talk with those people in your family, with your friends, with people who know you and are wondering why you're irritable. <laughs> Talk, be honest, and let them be honest as well. And ask each other for help. You know, work to develop a strategy that you can use to deal with decision fatigue. See how you can help each other in your places of weakness. Like one of you maybe loves to cook. Well, good. That person can take responsibility for meal planning. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe you hate deciding what to wear, but one of your kids is a fashionista, which by the way is <laughs> not me. <laughs> you can ask that kid for help, you know, just say, hey, pick out my wardrobe for me. Guess what? That's a decision that you no longer have to make if you trust your kid. That's great. And it's an important point to think about and consider. Don't 
make decisions that you don't have to. Ask yourself, do I have to make this decision or can someone else, maybe they're a better person to do it or can it wait or whatever. And then talk to trusted counselors and seek their prayers and counsel. Remember how Moses couldn't hold up his staff in Exodus 17. I love that story. Aaron and her come alongside him and enable him to do what God has asked him to do. They hold up his arms. Let those you trust come alongside you and help hold you up. Third, make a plan ahead of time. If by some miracle you're not already dealing with decision fatigue, take the time now to make a plan for how you'll handle it when it hits. Because I'm warning you, the world's not going to get any calmer. There aren't going to be fewer decisions to make. They may just be increasing. But doing this, making a plan ahead of time, can take the pressure off when you're feeling overwhelmed. A good place to start your plan is with a primary question to ask yourself when you have to make a decision. It could be something like, which choice can God use to refine me? Or which choice will bring glory to God? Or even just, do I need to be the one making this decision? Work through the possible answers and responses until you have a workable script to follow, something that will give you a guidance and guidelines that you maybe just can't think through without something written down. Churchleaders.com gives a great suggestion to add to this plan. Resist. Here's what they say. Specifically, resist external pressures that might affect your decision-making that are motivated by such things as partisan politics, bad theology, fear, anxiety, or personal felt needs. It's not that some external pressures aren't worthy of being taken into account. Just never allow yourself to make a decision simply because of external pressure, unquote. Right. And the fourth thing we can do about decision fatigue is to focus on self-care. Keep watch for those signs that we talked about of decision fatigue. And when you see them in yourself, admit what's happening and take care of yourself. You are no different from the rest of the world if you're seeing (laughs) that you're dealing with decision fatigue. It's okay. Stop and be okay and just say, this is what's happening. And then figure out how to take care of yourself. Be sure you're eating healthy. Get the sleep you need. Maybe you need a nap. If you're fading during the day, a little 20-minute power nap is great. Or take a short break. Do something that rejuvenates you. Exercise. Exercise boosts endorphins. It makes us feel more energized and increases our oxygen levels in the blood, which is imperative for thinking straight. The brain cells are hypersensitive to decreased oxygen in the blood. So exercise. You know, my dad, in addition to being a pastor, was a physical education minor from college. And so he worked at the YMCA and was in charge of a lot of their exercise programs. He always used to say to me, he used to drive me nuts. If I was feeling tired in the middle of the day, he'd say, go for a walk. I'm like, a walk? I need a nap. He said, no, go for a walk. And I thought he was crazy until I tried it. It is amazing how energizing moving and walking can be. Right. And you can develop routines, too, to cut out unnecessary decisions. So, like, you know, figure out ahead of time, you know, what time you'll write, when you'll go to bed, when you'll get up. Those can be routines. You don't have to think about them. You can just maintain them because they're a routine. And we're going to talk more about that in an upcoming podcast, how you can develop those kinds of habits and routines. Because, again, that can help you decrease the amount of decisions you have to make. 
And then don't be afraid of wrong decisions. Yes, there are consequences, but fear is not going to help. So know that you're going to do the best you can with what you know in that moment. And one other thing to consider, step away. Self-care means you step away when you're overwhelmed. Don't force yourself to do something when you know that you're not able to do it. Give yourself time and space to think and pray things through. Don't be rushed by the tyranny of the deadline. I mean, consider Mark 6.31. Jesus and his disciples have been teaching and healing for days. And then it says, then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The master understood. He knew. Never underestimate the power of taking the time to recoup, to let your heart and spirit reset on what's most important. Remember God's words in Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your mm-hmm. salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Don't be like the Israelites who wouldn't listen to him. Take his truths to heart and rest in them. Right. And the fifth thing that you can do to help defeat this decision fatigue is focus on when you make decisions. Believe it or not, timing matters. Opensourcedworkplace.com shares a fascinating study that was done by the National Academy of Sciences way back in 2011. For over 10 months, they studied the rulings of over 10,000 judges. And what they discovered was that the judges in a parole board who heard prisoners appeal early in the day were more likely to give a favorable ruling about like 65% of the time. But as more and more decisions were made with deliberations done over and over again, the chances of prisoners receiving parole in their favor dropped to almost zero. The researchers also recorded the judges' two daily food breaks and found that after the percentage of favorable rulings dropped to nearly zero, it jumped back to about 65% after each break. Here's the deal, guys. Food doesn't just feed your body. It feeds your brain, which is an important part of your body. The glucose enables it to have the energy to think more critically. Daniel Kahneman talks about this as well in his book, Thinking Fast and slow. And in that case there of those parole boards, those judges' decisions at times, they had nothing to do with the prisoners or the judges' personal feelings. It was so much more about the timing. So guys, if possible, make your decisions in the morning after a good night's sleep and healthy meals. So we deal with so many strange things in the course of our lives as writers and believers, where making decisions once seemed easy, even second nature, it can now become so overwhelming, we're frozen in indecision. We cannot decide. But God doesn't want you stuck there. He doesn't want you stuck in decision fatigue. He's with you in every decision you have to make. No matter how small, no matter how big, he's ready to guide you, to whisper truth and wisdom to your heart and spirit. Don't let the craziness of the world make you forget that the God of the universe loves you unconditionally, and he offers you rest and peace and wisdom. 
As Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 15 through 17, and let this truth just pierce you guys. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do or decide, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at writefromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Thank you.